We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. We're reviewing week 10, looking forward to week 11, and helping you to manage your fantasy teams on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz Radio brought to you by MyBookie. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, Editor in Chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. It's week 11 already. And Matt, I think we need to apologize to the Mark Ingram owners out there that took our advice and sat him as he had a pretty good game over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, I guess, I mean, I don't know, whatever, buyer beware. I mean, it's, it's funny. So like, uh, I actually ended up starting Ingram in, uh, DFS, um, just cause he was so cheap. Um, but, uh, the team that he's on in my dynasty league didn't do well. And, uh, this was actually my worst, uh, weekend in, uh, maybe history wow. uh, for, for betting. It was, it was a bad weekend for betting. I still like broke even for the week, so it was fine, but it was just like single, single day, the worst day I've ever had. Yeah, this feels like, like the- ac- across sports. It wasn't oh, really? just NFL. It was like on, on Sunday, I got screwed by golf, NBA, 
um, lost money, but came much closer to breaking even in NASCAR. And then NFL was just a disaster. All right. This is a conversation for a different time, but roughly how many hours a week are dedicated to your personal betting endeavors? Granted, you're probably so informed by all of the work that you're doing throughout the week that you wouldn't have to do as much research as the average person. Uh, it's significant time. The, a lot of the time really is kind of spent uh, trying to find the bets. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and have, as somebody that, you know, only dabbles, I think that that clearly is one of the most important things is, you know, only playing where you feel comfortable and it makes sense. Well, I still think, you know, like when we talked about Ingram last week, it made sense. And I had even said, you know, there's going to be a game here or there that you're going to miss. And I thought that they would be later on. Uh, but still, now I think we're kind of going to have to say, use discretion on your team. I still don't know if that one performance, I don't think that it means that you're going to get a solid level of production from him week in and week out, but perhaps he's no longer a must sit. A player that I do want to mention, normally we save these for the end, but Cooper Cup, that torn ACL, just a real bummer. He was having a great season when he was on the field. We'll have that season cut short. I still really like Cup prospects moving forward. But I guess the big question becomes when you're looking at other players on that team, perhaps like Gerald Everett, how much room do you think that this Cup injury opens up for other Rams to produce from a fantasy perspective? Maybe a little bit, but like no one can really replicate um, what he brought to that offense except I think Woods. Like I mm-hmm. think Woods will play a little more in the slot. Um, but I think what you'll see is just more targets going to the three guys of Cooks, Woods, and Gurley. And then whatever whatever is left over that would have gone to Cup will just be roughly evenly distributed uh, between Reynolds and the tight ends. So I don't think there's going to be one guy who really sees a boost across the board. I think all of them will see slight boost. Yeah, that was pretty much my read as well. So I don't think that it really makes anybody else on the Rams a must add, especially just, you know, because of the talent that they have with that group of three players that you mentioned. They're the little Lebowski urban achievers. Rashad Penny gets mentioned for maybe the first time during the regular season in Seattle's game against the Rams over the weekend, 12 attempts, 108 yards, one touchdown, almost 17 fantasy points. Uh, I guess it's good to see that Penny is able to to deliver on some of the things that we thought he might be able to do. I'm not sure if you can expect something like this from him moving forward. Granted, we have seen some success now by the Seahawks backs, but were you uh, impressed by this performance? Uh, I mean, yes and no. Like, uh, I haven't lost long-term faith in Rashad Penny. Um, you know, it's just a question of like for this season, his, like his production is obviously based on the dependability, uh, or availability rather of, uh, the guys ahead of him, like Chris Carson, Mike Davis. Uh, if one of those guys is out, then you might have Rashad Penny have a game where he gets 10 touches. Um, you know, and one of those might end up in a touchdown, but you know, he's, he's a backup. He's like pretty clearly, I think still the number three guy on that team. But, um, even if he starts to get more touches on a regular basis, he's not going to get enough where he should be near anyone starting lineup. Yeah. Especially that it's taken this long into the season. So it's not like this one performance is going to catapult him up that roster, uh, as the backs in front of him were, producing lines like this at different points throughout the season. Uh, So I guess it is good for his long-term 
value. DeQuiz Rogers, we had mentioned before, is maybe a player that could get some action in particular game scripts. Really strings together his first solid outing of the season. Eight targets, eight wrecks, uh, equates to around 16 fantasy points as he did uh, accumulate 100 yards through the air. We've talked about how they are going to be facing the Buccaneers. That is a very tough schedule for the ground game with Fitzpatrick remaining in as the starter. Uh, the Buccaneers being a team that's likely going to be playing from behind a lot. Do you think that this Rodgers performance could carry through to future weeks? Uh, one. The cat? Uh, that cat. Oh my God. Uh, I know, man. Two. Um, I'm, I don't know. Like I'm always, I'm, I'm too pessimistic about pass catching backs. Um, you know, like I, I totally missed Jalen Richard, you know, like I just didn't see him as someone who would be viable, but, uh, he's been viable because he's on a team with limited, uh, I I guess limited options ahead of him and on a team that, uh, is in negative game script and going to be passing the ball. So that kind of fits Jaquiz Rogers. Um, so maybe he will be viable. I just still don't, I don't know. I just, I'm never going to, I'm never going to start one of these guys. Like I'm never going to do it. So I don't know why I would put someone like that on my team. That's entirely fair. Uh, especially with the kind of thought in mind that you're probably not going to get that many touchdowns from Rogers and the odds that even if he does see the eight targets, it turns into like an a hundred yard day are probably pretty minimal. Now, I also want to mention that on Last Thursday, I was on the mailbag and Henry broke through the barricades, was licking me uh, as documented by uh, the host of the mailbag, Mr. Jeremy Hart, um, who actually saw the whole thing transpire on webcam. So I think the cat is very upset that I've put the barricade back up and he was not able to break in tonight. Zay Jones does manage to break into the Little Lebowski Urban Overachievers segment for probably the first and only time ever. 11 targets, 8 wrecks, 1 touchdown, 93 yards, and more than 23 fantasy points uh, from a spectacular day from Matt Barkley, who made me look like a complete fool for streaming the Jets against them in every single league that I play. Yeah, he's uh, breaking into the segment the way he broke through that glass window. Uh, nailed it. Um, <laughs> did he actually do he did he break through a glass window like when he was found like when he was arrested when he was naked? Like I think he like shattered a window and was like, I, naked and bleeding. I, I think that's the yeah. Story. I think I I think there was there was something along those lines. So it's Pro- good, yeah, yeah I, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that. Uh, uh, it, it was beneath the dignity of the show. <laughs> Um, yeah, Zay Jones. I mean, no, like, I mean, I, I think the only way that you really even care about this is if you have him in dynasty and you think, okay, maybe this is the beginning of him kind of getting things righted. But, um, like if you just looked at Yahoo leagues, he's owned in 1% of Yahoo leagues, like that might bump up to 2% after this week. <laughs> like, but you're never going to feel comfortable starting him. You know, like I just, I don't see it being a thing. So yeah, I mean, maybe if you're in a really deep league and you just have absolute trash at the wide receiver position uh, and, you know, it's a week where six teams are on by. So, you know, maybe you're just, you need a dart throw. Maybe he's someone you pick up, but I don't really think so. The strange thing is, is that there've been a lot of Good signals for Jones if you just looked at the way that things had been trending in terms of expected points for him, targets, opportunity. 
and the schedule that the Bills were facing, but it was kind of like there's no way in which you could actually recommend going after him. And this one game doesn't change it for me. It's still a pretty bleak situation there. I think I'd probably have to see another two weeks of this to even think about uh, actually considering Jones as an ad, let alone getting him into a lineup. So pump the brakes there if you're getting overly excited for Jones, though I guess this is something positive. Uh, and hopefully he can kind of carry this momentum through and get to uh, fantasy relevancy. Listen, let me ask a question. Could you uh, expand the space underneath the desk, you know, give it a little more uh, headroom? Okay, I was asked on the mailbag uh, about starting Jarvis Landry, a group of very good players. I went with Landry. That was another call that it made wrong. Saw five targets for the Browns, only two wrecks, 22 yards, comes out to 4.2 fantasy points. There's been some disappointing games for Landry, despite Baker Mayfield having a pretty good game. Does this trouble you in any way, Matt? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's very troubling, but I'm going to keep on saying, um, you know, if you have Landry, you're starting him. Uh, I will probably continue to be wrong. And, uh, I, you know, when I bet him in props, I will probably continue to lose money. But um, I mean, this was like a great matchup for him this last week. Um, it's, I guess, disconcerting that he didn't do better. Like literally like every, even like pseudo fantasy viable slot receiver who had faced the Falcons this season had just like gone off. Right. Um, so it was, it was a very negative outcome. Um, but I don't know if enough has changed even with the change in coaching staff. Um, for Landry to be downgraded. Like, I think overall, he's still the guy who's going to get the most targets within that offense. Um, I think you still want to have a guy who is heavily targeted and who has a history of producing, even if he's not getting like high leverage targets. If there's the type of player that I'm going to be okay with being wrong when I make the decision to keep playing them or to keep starting, it's a player like Jarvis Landry. Given the volume that we've seen, given that he plays out of the slot, and I do believe he's probably, by and large, the most talented uh, receiver that they have out there. Um, Sony Michel, Patriots had a bad game yesterday. He saw just 11 carries, 31 yards. 3.1 fantasy points, a bit of a down game for James White as well. Naturally, the Patriots offense as a whole. Any thoughts on Michelle? Uh, does this concern you at all? Yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I think in general, like if you have Michelle, you're still playing him. He's still the lead back in a very high scoring offense. Um, the Patriots, I mean, they just, they had a bad week. But, uh, I mean, you still want, in general, to roster players within that offense. The one thing I would say is that, like, uh, I mean, they shouldn't have drafted him. Like, I'm just – I don't know. <laughs> you I think? Mean, yeah. No, they well, definitely like, shouldn't and, have. And, like, this, is, this was especially, an especially bad week because it was like Nick Chubb just went off. Right. And it was like, you know, you maybe chose the wrong guy in that Georgia backfield. You know, like Completely. maybe you didn't need Completely. to draft Michelle as the, the first running back off of, you know. So anyway, it was just, it, it wasn't good. I could fill a whole podcast talking about reasons that Sony Michelle was the wrong pick um, as a huge Nick Chubb fan. And again, when you have James White that is getting targeted so much more than top tier wide receivers and he's performing so well, you don't even need the... I guess, versatility that you thought you were getting from Michelle when there's no question that Chubb was the better between the tackles type of runner outproduced Michelle. 
I'm just going to leave this, but if you have Michelle, I don't think you really panic. I think this was just a bad game for that offense. He'll recover. He's going to have another couple good games likely before the season is over. Yeah, Goal- one thing to yep. to jump in here really quick. I think if you're going to panic with Michelle, the the like what should cause the panic is the idea that Rex Burkhead could come back. Like I I think, right? Like he's on the uh like the IR where he can return. Yeah, that's correct. And I think like he's getting close. So like yeah. I think that is the cause for panic. The idea that Michelle might not be like the only like kind of true running back. Like he might lose goal line touches. That's really something that's been valuable to him so far. If he's not getting goal line touches and he's not used in the passing game, then you basically have like a, a good version of Amir Abdullah, which oh. is like that's worth nothing. Correct. And Burkhead was really, really efficient, very strong in the red zone last season. So as we've seen with a team like the Patriots, they're not going to be afraid to turn his way all of a sudden uh, if they're given any reason to do so. Golden Tate, first game as an Eagle. So I don't know if we can really read into this too much. Saw four targets, just two receptions, 19 yards, held to under four points. Uh, Are you with me, Matt, that we probably shouldn't draw any conclusions based off of this one game? Yeah, probably. Although it is, um, it is alarming. Mm-hmm. It's it's notable that he got only four targets. Like I, I would have liked to have seen them give him more. Yeah. Now I did see him back returning punts, I believe. Um, so it looked like I guess that's encouraging, at least in that they wanted to start to get him involved right away. Uh, but we will have to see if that manifests into more targets. Uh, I'm definitely expecting that number to creep up though. Uh, Reminder that you can still get a 30% off listener only subscription to Rotoviz through the Rotoviz podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. And if you're appreciating what we're doing and you're looking forward to us continuing to do this throughout the year, all the way up to next season, please visit us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz radio and consider helping our mission. Uh, and getting access to some of the live shows that we're doing and uh, other content that we have available on Patreon. So please uh, be sure to check us out on there and subscribe to the site if you have yet to do so. And it's Crazy Joe Devola. This is from that kid from that Crazy Joe Devola. Yeah. <laughs> crazy Joe Devola? What the hell? Uh, what Crazy Joe Devola? Crazy Joe Devola. So the Joe Devola crazy stat of the week this week. I want to talk quickly about Aaron Jones because he has rushed for a first down uh, on 38% of his carries on 73 attempts. The closest player with 50 plus is Alvin Kamara, who's done so 33% of the time. But I find this particularly interesting as we've talked a lot about who is going to be the player that would win this backfield. Jamal Williams has done so just 22% of the time. And the key factor here is they've had the same number of third down attempts. So it's not like Jones was getting in necessarily in situations that were much easier to score or excuse me, to get the first down. Another thing to note, Jamal Williams, his longest carry of this season is 11 yards. He has not gone over 20 yards on any carries, yet Aaron Jones as long as 67. Uh, he's gone over 20 yards three times, uh, over 40 yards once. It looks like the coaching staff is starting to recognize this. We saw a good game from Jones, uh, and I think that we're starting to be able to rule that Jones, yes, is a pretty good back. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the question has never been uh, if he's like the most dynamic guy in that backfield. It was always like, are they going to give him the snaps? Like, do they trust him enough to give him the snaps? And it looks like that is now the case, which is uh, fantastic. So uh, I'm going to continue to bump him up in my rankings each week. Yeah, he was the type of guy, too, that seemed like, along with Nick Chubb, and I kind of wish that I'd been able to get them on more teams of guys that could make a huge difference for you down the stretch, and it's looking like both of them are going to be able to do that. Now, to give some more numbers on these breakaway rushes, James Conner has eight carries of 20 or more yards, uh, has not gone over 40 yards, Saquon Barkley has gone over 27 times. He has three rushes over 40 yards. Zeke Elliott over 27 times, one over 40. Gordon has gone over 27 times. Gurley over 27 times. Matt Breida, six rushes over 20, one over 40. Bringing us to Nick Chubb, who has gone on the fewest carries, mind you, um, over 26 times, over 43 plus times. And I just want to bring this up because we had spoken a lot at Rotoviz about how we thought that Chubb was a very type of explosive player. And we're already seeing that translate. Other interesting names that get into the top 10 here. You also have Carry On Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Joe Mixon, Isaiah Crowell, and Kareem Hunt, who I, I did not mention, uh, who's gone over 26 times, over 41 time. Uh, you know, I don't know how much you can necessarily draw conclusions off of these type of stats, but Nonetheless, I always enjoy looking at those. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Players trending up. Another Cleveland running back. Two games with the change in coaching staff. Duke Johnson now, Matt. 30 points last week. Almost 15 this weekend, had uh, a couple of carries, only four targets, but did find the end zone. He now has three touchdowns in the last two games. How good are you feeling about Duke at this point? Yeah, I think the four targets is actually kind of low considering the matchup he had. Um, But, you know, they were ahead for a lot of that game. Um, So I think we can project probably closer games for the Browns moving forward. And so I think that will probably translate in more targets. But yeah, I mean, I think Johnson is probably locked in uh, for anywhere from like four to six targets per game um, with, you know, the possibility for more if game script really goes against them. Um, yeah, I mean, the touchdowns you won't be able to count on, but the the targets, especially in PPR leagues, make him pretty valuable. Definitely. Now, Dante Moncrief, I don't think has gotten too much coverage on this show to this point, and it's not like he's lighting the world on fire or anything. Granted, he did have nearly 19 points this weekend, but he is the type of player where we're at the point in the season where there's few guys that have low ownership percentages that are consistently producing. Week four, he had 22 points. Week five, 13 and a half. Week seven, 14 and a half. Week eight, nine and a half and then again 19 over the weekend with some games 14 targets 10 targets seven targets so i bring moncrief up as a guy that i think could be available in leagues that has a very decent chance of producing for you on a week-to-week basis granted the jacksonville passing game may not be the most enticing option this season but i do think he's worth considering yeah i agree um he's someone I was planning on mentioning 
in the uh, segment that comes later in the show. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you, uh, you know, break it down in, in better reasoning yeah. than I just did. Mitchell Trubisky, Matt, we talked about earlier in the season, and he is really, I think, grant, uh, cementing himself as a really good fantasy quarterback. Struggled against Buffalo, which was bizarre, but against Detroit, has another great day. Scores on the ground, 355 yards through the air, through three touchdown passes, 36 fantasy points. We talked about how important that rushing production is. He's also doing it through the air. I have to say, I think going into next season, Trubisky is a great option to go after. Yeah, he's like the good version of Blake Bortles. Like he has like the the rushing that Bortles has, um, but it's like he doesn't have to count on trash time to get his passing production. You know, like he's, yeah, I think he's like the good version of what everyone would have wanted Bortles to develop into. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I I mean, I'm trying to like project into the future and think about like, you know, where would I want Trubisky? Like, I don't see myself wanting to draft him before, you know, I don't know, like six, maybe even eight other quarterbacks. But I think that makes him like a, a pretty enticing late round option later. Like, I think he will be someone who, um, you can get fairly cheaply. Uh, if you like to wait at the position, but he still has like the potential to give you production that is comparable to the guys in the top five, top six. So yeah, I think he's a, a pretty decent option looking into the future. For sure. And I think he's one of those guys that once the season is done, a lot of people will forget about how many solid, solid weeks he had. Three players on the decline. Devin Funches had back-to-back 18-point games in Week 6 and Week 7. Since then, has gone for 6, 8, and 6. The targets have been down at 3, 5, and 5. We start to see other players getting into the mix. Of course, Christian McCaffrey has been fantastic. You're a Funchess owner. You're probably kind of feeling like you're not going to see much more from him as the season plays out. Yeah, it's not a great situation. And uh, like his splits over the past two seasons uh, have been pretty stark, whether uh, like like with with Greg Olson in the lineup. So he's like a very Olson dependent type of player. If Olson is out, like his target share increases dramatically. He basically plays like the Olson role within the offense. But uh, yeah, it's not a good situation for him. He's I I mean, I don't think he's someone you can trust at this point. Right. Now, we talked about the Patriots earlier and how they struggled yesterday, but Tom Brady, from a fantasy perspective, has really been struggling this season. Going back three weeks against Buffalo, doesn't even get to 14 points against Green Bay, does not get to 16, and against the Titans, only gets to 11. I am not even really sure where to go with this. I I guess other than the fact that it's just kind of perplexing. Um one touchdown in the last three games. And this was a player that was kind of unanimously going in the top three of the position at ADP. Um, At this point, do you see any reason why Brady should still be considered a weekly fantasy starter? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think (laughs) for it's hard because like, who are you going to get off of waivers at this point that you feel like solidly is going to be better? Uh, in any given week than Brady. Like there probably just aren't that many, like it might be a matchup dependent thing and you will probably end up starting someone who actually isn't really all that good, but you just think that given the matchup, that person might be able to outproduce him. But like you're going to lock yourself into basically having to stream the position each week, which isn't like the worst thing, 
But um, like on the other hand, uh, Brady, like he's looking like the version of himself um, from like three or four years ago when he had just kind of like a random down season. Um, he's missing throws, like throws that he has been hitting the past couple of years. He's just not as accurate. Um, his receivers aren't quite as good and he's playing without Gronk. Um, you know, now he's on bye, So it's just like, I mean, it's, it's not a great situation. And the, another thing is that each year, like for at least the past five years, but I think it goes back even a little longer than that. Um, he's really faded in the second half of the season. And part of that just might be like age. Part of it might be, I don't know. He doesn't play as well in cold weather whatever it is, but, um, he just hasn't been nearly as productive in the second half of the season. So like you have that to look forward to if you're a Brady owner. So, um, like on the one hand, it's hard to know who you're going to get on waivers. On the other hand, it's probably not going to get better for Brady. I'm kind of with you there. Uh, there's always the potential for a massive game from Brady and that offense, but looking at things purely from a fantasy perspective, I think he's now at the point where if you need to shuffle things around your roster, make rooms or make room for other positions, if you're carrying two quarterbacks, I don't think that you need to feel bad about letting go of him. Now, a player from, you know, actually one second, oh, yep. let's go through like a quick exercise. Sure. Here, here are some of the, the quarterbacks available on waivers right now in yep. one of the leagues I'm in on Yahoo. Um, and these are the guys, this is listed in order of fantasy production this season. Uh, tell me if you would take any of these guys above Brady. Okay. Blake, Blake Bortles. No. Andy Dalton. No. Dak Prescott. No. Joe Flacco. He has a very favorable upcoming schedule. I have to say it's possible I might. But he's also injured. He's also injured. Yeah. If we're taking that out of the equation, then maybe. But So I guess no, because in this exercise, we should go with actual facts. So, so no, I would not go with Flacco. Yeah. Uh, Case Keenum. Yeah, I guess not. Derek Carr? No, 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 no. Of course yeah. not. Baker Mayfield? That's maybe the first one. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And, and then, like, after that, it's, you know, like, Eli, Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, CJ Beathard. It's, you know, like, yeah. it's pretty naked out there. So, basically, if Brady's on your team, you're losing. You know what I mean? Like, right. you're, you know, you've basically already lost the season, probably. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty depressing. Uh, so just mo- moving along from Brady, a player in another offense that I think has not lived up to what people were hoping. Granted, he has had more useful weeks in respect to his position than Brady, but that's Jimmy Graham. Week eight, just three points against New England, did get into the end zone, managed 15 and a half points, but against Miami, just 2.4 points. This is not what owners who drafted Jimmy Graham were expecting. Oh, yeah, it's been horrible. Um, he led the position over the last two seasons uh, in touchdowns, um, led the league last year in red zone touchdowns and targets inside the 10. I think people were kind of expecting that that would be the role he would have within this offense, especially with Jordy Nelson gone. But he really hasn't been used like that at all. Um, and there are games when he's been productive. Uh, and they've given him targets and he's been used as kind of more of like just a regular, you know, tight end across the field. Um, but yeah, it's pretty bad at this point. Um, and it's hard to know exactly when, like in any given week, he will be productive. I mean, if, if you have him, you probably have to start him. There's probably not anyone on waivers who's better than him, right? which is like a horrible thing to say. 
but um, he's you can't count on him at all. Yeah, for sure. Just another uh, surprise. Even if you weren't expecting him to come into the offense in Green Bay and be a top four type of tight end, I think you were expecting more from him. Sure, watching football is fun, but it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games like Mr. Friedman. Uh, You've heard us talking about them for weeks, and if you're still on the sidelines, you need to get to my bookie as soon as possible and bet a little and win a lot. Get in on those parlays, get in on baseball, basketball, hockey, the huge UFC fights. My bookie is the one bet that we know you'll be happy with all year. We recommend them because we trust them. They've been in the business for years. The online reviews are fantastic and their mobile site is easy to use. Uh, We have that promo code for you, that Rotoviz promo code, uh, getting you some of the absolute best bonuses in the industry. Be sure to follow at BetMyBookie on Twitter. They respond to every mention and DM, and they've given away nearly $10,000 in free money to their followers this football season. You'll be the first to know as soon as new ads and props are posted. And on Sundays, Matt and I both start off our day by getting a quick look and then pondering the fantasy betting props, uh, which if you're just looking for another way, perhaps your season is done, but you still want to spice up the games a little bit on Sunday, that is the best way to do it. So again, make use of our promo code RotoViz and check out my bookie today. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 29 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. It's the sale you've been waiting for. Now through Monday, get a huge 50% off the styles you need now with 50% off all jeans, 50% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, 50% off. Jeans start at 15 bucks for adults, 10 bucks for kids. Want fashion in a flash? Buy online and pick up in-store for free. Hurry, the sale ends Monday at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Validate 29 to 92 excludes in-store clearance, jumpsuits, rompers, bubbles, active license, and men's package tees. Friedman, it's time. I know I kind of stole your thunder earlier, but we want that number one waiver priority. People have been waiting for more <laughs> than 24 hours now. Lay it on us. Uh, well, it's that point in the season where basically all of the players that we talked about uh, to start the show are kind of, you know what I mean? Because it's like the waivers are thin at this point. So basically those guys we talked about, if you're looking for receivers, uh, I think Dante Moncrief is like a kind of high volatile guy. Uh, and maybe that's the type of player you're actually looking for. Uh, like someone who actually has the potential of like scoring 20 points in a game. Um, if he has the right matchup and you're just kind of like looking for a Hail Mary type of throw. Uh, someone who's interesting, although he is on by, I believe this upcoming week is Danny Amendola. Mm-hmm. Um, in part, just because the... Uh, the Dolphins have been decimated at the wide receiver position. So uh, Kenny Stills is playing, but he's you know like battling a groin injury. 
Uh, obviously, Albert Wilson is on IR. Devontae Parker was injured this last game. Jakeem Grant was injured. So, uh, I don't know. It's a pretty thin position, and Amendola has been getting some decent targets recently. So, he's someone who's intriguing at the uh, wide receiver position. At running back, um, it's pretty naked out there, but the one guy who actually is, I think, a little intriguing, even though I said uh, he's probably going to do nothing, is Rashad Penny. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it has to do with um, uncertainty around Chris Carson and the fact that that team runs so much. So, like, he is a first-round guy. He does have some talent. He's on a team that likes to run the ball. One of the guys ahead of him is injured. And uh, the other guy ahead of him is like a journeyman and he plays at a position where guys get injured all the time. So, you know, like if you're looking for just something at the running back position, uh, there is some potential there. Tight end is really naked and the same with uh, quarterback. Like if you're looking for those positions, I think you're probably in like you're you're already dead i think so i mean i don't know like good luck if you're looking at those positions but like there's nothing that's really jumping off the page to me it's not a good time to be looking for a tight end or quarterback it absolutely isn't and to kind of clarify how when we're talking about a player like penny it can kind of seem like we're talking out of both sides of our mouth i think the important distinction here to make is that though we don't necessarily expect much to come to fruition. You're at the point in the season where you're comparing players and what you have to look at is, is there any way that these guys could get into a positive situation? And if they do become useful. Uh, So though it's a low probability with Penny, it's probably a more fortuitous situation if it comes to fruition than other players. Yeah, exactly. So from a strength of schedule perspective, we're going to hit these up quickly because I've got to be honest, the teams that set up well do not have many options that you would want to go after. Having said that, Carolina's wide receivers have favorable schedule the next three weeks, as do the Jets wide receivers and San Francisco's wide receivers. Of course, we'll have a better idea. Uh, We're recording this during Monday night, so it's hard to say with the changing quarterback there exactly what that would look like. Difficult schedules. Unfortunately, though, we did just mention Amendola. Miami plays a pretty grueling schedule. Moncrief, who we also mentioned, fair warning, the Jags play a difficult schedule the next three weeks. Cincinnati's wide receivers do as well. So if you're looking to perhaps get some production from that Bengals offense, if AJ Green remains sidelined, they could be up for some difficult matchups. Fantasy games of the upcoming week, This is an easy one, Matt, but the Rams face the Chiefs on Monday night football next week. I think that is going to be some very compelling television. Yeah, it's the Mexico City game. Um, It's, you know, a potential Super Bowl preview. And uh, it has at this point like a 63 and a half or 64 point over under, which is like the highest of all time. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great game. I mean, literally, like part of me was thinking, like, do I want to fly to Mexico City to see this game in person? Wow. Like I like I was considering it. Wow. Um, I just wouldn't have to I didn't want to have to explain that to my wife. So I'm, I'm not doing it. But I like it. It really it really crossed my mind. All right. Yeah. To put this in perspective, when you started talking about that, I was about to say, if you do it, I'll do it. Keep in mind, I also have a probably less flexible job. And a child that's almost two years old. Um, So it would be harder for me, but that's how exciting of a contest this seems like. 
yeah, it's, I think it's going to be pretty fun. Um, but I mean, there were some other good games too on the slate. Yep. Um, but yeah, that one really stands out. Right. So, I mean, I think this kind of trumps everything, but there's also Minnesota and Chicago on Sunday night. So definitely some good fantasy options there. And like you said, there were a couple other games. So this week we had a lot more to choose from than last week, bringing us to the bonus round. Uh, Maybe these are kind of tough que- tough questions for you, Matt, but which one player do you wish that you owned as we head into the stretch of or the final stretch of the fantasy season? I'll let you choose from anybody, even if you go with an obvious player like Gurley. Uh, it's just interesting to kind of see how you're gauging uh, the fantasy landscape right now. Yeah, um, I'll say David Johnson, because like I think he would have been. Uh, somewhat easy to acquire yep. through trade earlier in the season. Um, but he was still like clearly the lead back on the team. Um, and they still look for him in the passing game. They still give him the ball at the goal line. So basically, I think he has a lot of the same characteristics uh, and even like a lot of the usage that made him really valuable in 2016. It's just he's on an offense that isn't quite as good. So he's not going to get as many touches probably not going to be quite as efficient on a per touch basis, but he still, I I think has like, you know, top five, top eight potential at the position. For sure. And one of the real encouraging things for Johnson and perhaps those of you that own him in dynasty is for as down of a season as this may have seemed, he still has actually been a relevant producer on your team. And though he's not winning you the league, he has certainly kept you uh, in contention. So I think as we see this team start to be able to utilize him better, uh, him trending forward, I feel better about owning him in Dynasty uh, at this point, obviously, than I did at the beginning of the season. So what is one macro level trend that you wish you had known about when the season started? Hmm, it's a good question. Uh, so right now, uh, as we are recording this, um, so entering Monday Night Football, yep. teams had collectively as a league had outscored um, the the over-under or the, the game total by 400 points. Um, but the under has hit more times this year than the over. Just, just one more time, but still. So you have like this disparity of looking and thinking like, it's a really high scoring season. Like the league is on pace to set the record for most points in a season, but the under is still hitting. And so it's this situation where um, like the books were pretty slow to adjust the lines upward for the first month of the season. So that was like a really profitable month for over betters. Um, but I, like if anything, they've kind of been like aggressive in over adjusting it. Mm. And like, I wish I had, I wish I had thought about that a little bit more and seen it coming because it would have, it's been very profitable to bet the unders, uh, for the past like six weeks or so. Um, and I wish I kind of, I wish I would have seen that coming a little more and, and really like I should have, um, because I think part of this is based on the rule adjustments. Uh, but then also part of this is like localized in a few teams. But if you look at, uh, some of the, the adjustments that were made that facilitated the passing game, uh, I think like in 2010, like you, you did see this. You saw the first four weeks were really profitable for over betters. And then the under was better for the rest of the season 
as the bookmakers adjusted. So like, I think we're at the point in the year where it's kind of balanced out now. Um, and, and I don't think there's going to be like much value really to like blindly betting the under or anything like that. But, um, like I wish I would have thought a little bit more about that trend. Like I was definitely on the over for the, the opening month of the season. I just, I didn't anticipate that it, that the good times would stop. <laughs> Wow. For what I anticipated to be a tremendously difficult question to come up with such a thought out answer like that so quickly, you just absolutely murdered that. So you win the uh, podcast uh, tonight, Matt. Oh, thank you. Well, like that's something I've been thinking about for a while. <laughs> so, yeah. Um. So that, that just reminds me of something funny talking about um, going back a couple of years when there was different rules changed or rule changes. So I had a friend who back when they started to make things a little bit easier for the receivers, limiting some of what defensive backs could do, heading into the fantasy season, his theory was he just wanted to get wide receivers all over the place because he thought that teams would be just passing to wide receivers so much because there would be uh, so much pass interference, to which I questioned, well, if you think that they're going to be so much pass interference, doesn't that mean that the receivers aren't then going to be catching the ball? Because he was saying they'll just start chucking it to the receivers. Um, and it was an interesting exercise in like counterintuitive thinking because um, naturally, if you're going to be drawing that many pass interferences, you're probably not going to be catching the ball. I'm not explaining this really great, but if you could have seen his reaction when I broke down that yeah, logic, no. it was fantastic. <laughs> no, no I, I get it. Um, so you're, you're the one who asked the question. So it leads me to believe that it's likely you have given this some thought. Like, is there a macro level trend uh, that you wish you could have anticipated? Yeah, I think for me, um, it really came down to – it's all like – or the thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and I don't even know if it really addresses the question, is just that going somewhat more – with the players that I felt good about versus making sure that I had a very uh, cemented strategy. Because there was a lot mm -hmm. of players like Michael Thomas that I felt very good about. I felt very good about Devonta Adams. Now, listen, there's players that I felt good about too that didn't pan out, such as Robbie Anderson, Kenny Stills, but those were players later on in the draft. However, I was in certain leagues where I said, given the nature of this league, I am going to forget about that and I'm just going to go with the running backs. Now, you know, in some of those leagues that worked out, some it didn't. But I think that the reason that happened was almost I let myself have a bit of an overreaction to the prior season where we saw a lot of good performances from running backs. So I wish that I had um, kind of trusted what made sense, which was we would kind of see a rebound from the top wide receivers. So I, I wish that was something that even though there was the signal there, I'd been more um ardent and kind of trusting my gut with yeah um oh actually i have another one yep um i wish i would have <laughs> anticipated and uh like whatever league you're in there's one owner who's just like yes i wish i would have anticipated the levy on bell situation a little bit better <laughs> yes. um yeah yeah you know like uh i wish i had james freaking connor in in my leagues that's that's what i wish like you know i i think like that will end up being like one of the defining hallmarks of like this season of like the the people who got james connor in the 10th round the 12th round whatever round it was um those people are winning their leagues like i i wish i were one of those people i know i it's crazy too especially in certain shallow leagues if you had drafted Le'Veon. 
as long as you picked up Connor, you're fine. Hell, you might even yeah. just be winning your league based off of that yeah. one move. And it's interesting how being the Bell owner would have incentivized you to go after him. So like, I'd love to see some stats on how many leagues the person that was the Bell owner ended up getting Connor uh, versus, you know, somebody else getting him. Yeah. If you, if you are the Bell owner, it's like, it's almost, it's better if you're not the Bell owner and you have Connor, that way you can just like right. stick it to the person who has Bell. Um, but yeah, if you drafted Bell, I mean, I guess it just depends on when exactly you drafted your league. But basically, if you drafted Bell, you knew this was a situation. Like, even part of your brain had to know there was, even if you would have put it at a 1% chance that he doesn't play a down this season, you still should have thought, you know what? I'm de- like, I'm devoting the number two, the number three, the number four pick to this guy. I need to make sure that this pick is covered. Like I need to get his backup. Right. <laughs> so like if if you are the the bell owner and you don't have Connor on your roster, it's totally on you. Like it it's your fault. Like it sucks. It like it totally sucks, but you should have devoted the pick whatever round you think it would have been like comfortable uh but still necessary to use a pick to draft him. Like you should have ensured that you got him. I think the only thing I could say in my case, it was hubris. It was hubris. I was in the league for my (laughs) father-in-law. I saw these guys that I was just calling jabronis in my head, making all of these bad picks. I was sure that I would be able to, granted, he didn't even get drafted. Uh, but of course, you know, the, the couple of days leading up until the draft uh, ended up being the busiest, uh, as you might imagine, for somebody that was developing uh, yeah. draft software. I don't know why I took it, uh, you know, as I just kind of like took it for granted that I would have the time to be thinking about this tertiary league that I'm in. So as you can see, I'm still pretty salty, not to mention he was the first pick in my league, which I had uh, in the Scott Fishbowl too. So Le'Veon has really gotten the best of me this season. Yeah, that's that's rough. So yeah, the James Connor, like that's not um that's not really a macro level trend, but um yeah, I don't know. That that's one that has like stuck with me as just like something that's lingered. And like the thing is the I don't own Le'Veon in any redraft leagues. I own him in a dynasty league. Mm-hmm. And like I wanted I wanted James Connor in last year's rookie draft and I just couldn't get him, you know? Right. Like, so like I it's so like part of me is like I really should have tried harder to trade for him or you know but it's it, it's just it's a totally different dynamic but uh yeah the the James Connor like yeah. as good as Gurley has been this year I think Connor is the story of this season yeah I feel like it, when it all goes down it's going to be Connor and Mahomes is what people yeah, will be talking yeah. about uh and the other annoying thing too about Bell deciding to essentially sit the season out is now every data set that I'm working with that includes running back ADP, I'm going to always have to remember to adjust this. This is going to be with me. Just like there's that AP season when he got suspended, there's always these annoying ones and I'm always needing to go back and adjust them. So this is just another one. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is and it isn't like you, like it is annoying um, and you should adjust it, but maybe you shouldn't. Well, that's like, because like this happens, like this, this happens, like running backs suffer injuries more than other players, uh, you know, like running backs have these franchise tag type of situations. Um, I don't know. Like it's, I would say like you can probably count on the idea that maybe like once every five years 
you are going to have a situation like this with a running back where someone who is drafted in the top five, the first round, um, doesn't end up playing it down. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true. Of course, I think the other interesting thing is going to be to see what other running backs do now uh, as this is, I think, taken away some of the leverage that they would have within the confines of their organization. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, so Bell has used this rhetoric and like, we're just going off on a tangent here. Yeah, that's fine. uh, Whatever, doesn't matter. Bell has like used this rhetoric of like, I'm doing this for other players. Like, I'm doing this like for the position. I think he has screwed over other runners who are coming after him because like he has shown how replaceable the position is. And that actually isn't like to take anything away from James Conner, who like I think is actually a very good player. Yeah, like, he is. Yep. He's, you know, he was productive at Pitts, you know, at Pittsburgh. Uh, he was a better pass catching back there than people gave him credit for, like lots of things to like about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Bell has basically shown that even though he was a top two, I'd say probably top five just to be safe, but probably a top two running back in the league, given his versatility and his size and all of that. Um, he's shown that even someone that good can basically miss a season and his team, as long as they have someone who is like, I don't know, adequate, like they will not miss him. Like, this isn't and this isn't just like a James Conner thing. Like D'Angelo Williams yep. was still like doing well when Bell was out. Yeah. So like it, I don't well, know. Like he was trying to make a point and he made the exact opposite point. Yeah, well so here's the interesting thing. I wrote about this. This was maybe five weeks ago, but I'm pretty sure it still holds. If you actually look at the stat line produced by every running back or like the by the lead like leading rusher on the Steelers in attempts in every game that Bell has not played since he's been with the team, that rusher actually averages a better stat line than Bell. Yes, that is 100% accurate. So it's just like, and, I mean... and it, Yeah, it still holds. It definitely still yeah, holds. Yeah, it definitely still holds. So in addition to being fake philanthropy, <laughs> it's actually been thievery, if you will. Yeah. Uh, his agent has, yeah, has screwed him. Yeah. But I mean, I also don't, I don't know if Bell really wanted to play this year either. Yeah. So maybe he did. There's, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. All right. Well, on that note, um, although I actually, I was going to ask you one other question on football related, but I'm not sure that there's enough time for you to answer that. Yeah. But, yeah. There's time for okay. it. Okay. What is your favorite book of all time, Matt? Oh, man. Favorite book of all time. Um, That's a good one. Okay. So, uh, it's not okay. I'm I'm thinking about this too, like literally. Yeah. Uh, in terms of like, what is a book? You can buy for um, this into two like separate. Um. Yeah. So I'm gonna say like like an actual book, like a novel. Yep. Um, Huckleberry Finn. Okay. I think. Uh, like Tom Sawyer, I also really like too. But Huckleberry Finn has, I think, like some of the good qualities of Tom Sawyer, but is also like more serious. Yep. Um. So yeah, Huckleberry Finn. Um, it's not technically a book, but I would say King Lear by Shakespeare. Um, I also really like, uh, and so like if I wanted to kind of conceptualize this as like an actual book, I would just say like, um, the book of Shakespeare's plays. Okay. Yep. You know? Yeah. I like it. I would say- And, and, and then the Bible, of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I, I, and I say that and it sounds like I, I'm joking, but like it's, I don't know, like, um- 
it's like an ancient text, yep. you know, and there's like, there's wisdom in it. Like, even if like, you don't read it literally, like there's wisdom literature in it. So like, um, you know, like I would say like Shakespeare's plays yep. in the Bible are like the two most like culturally significant, uh, texts in the English language and that like still impact English literature today. Right. So yeah, and to put that into yeah, context so, too, you yeah. are, you are a lit major. So you probably can appreciate like the ramifications in, in you know, the derivative functions of the Bible probably more so than another, you know, yeah, less I mean, educated it's, person it's, on the subject. Yeah. I mean, it's a very rich text, like regardless of like whatever your thoughts are on it. Yep. So like, yeah, like it's it, at a minimum, I think it's a, a book to be like known and to be like respected for like its historical uh, importance. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So my favorite book of all time, if asked, I would say is Dune. Because I read Dune, I would say, at a point in my life where I was just kind of bridging the gap between reading things more so like just because I had to do it for school versus like also reading for enjoyment. And like at the time, it just blew my mind that there could be such like a rich universe and a book that covered so many diverse topics that it was kind of like my gateway for reading, I guess, like more advanced literature but yeah. for more than like just reading for school, but like reading to actually try to like learn something, get a different perspective on life and like just take stuff in. So after I read that, I started reading a lot more. Yeah. I've, I've never read Dune. Um, my wife, who's like, she's a, an English professor, but like just a voracious reader. Yep. I think she read that when she was younger and she really liked it. Isn't there like, it's a whole series, right? Yeah. Aren't there like seven uh, books in, right. in the series or something like yeah, that? Yeah, there are. And it's just like absolutely amazing the breadth of topics that they cover it's kind of like the intersection of the story of a messiah of like um just like different cultures politics religion there's just so many things meshing together and i was 18 when i read it uh which was a time where like you're trying to start to formulate your opinion on all of these things yeah and uh, it just ties them together so nicely and yeah i mean at the time i just i never read anything like that um and i think if i go back to it now like it's not the same because it doesn't have like kind of that like sense of wonder, if you will, when I was first reading it. But yeah, I mean, it was just like an absolutely fantastic series. Now, like probably, well, geez, at this point, we're more than 10 years later. I think I need to go back and kind of like revisit the series. And then naturally, my fa- I guess like my other favorite book, like just for pure enjoyment of reading and like escape is obviously the Harry Potter series. That's also influenced oh, yeah. by the time yeah. that I read it. But yeah, I mean, those, yeah, those are classic. There, there are so many good books. Like uh, I think that like, I don't mean not to get like philosophical, yep. but like, that's almost like the kind of like shitty part about life is that there's just not enough time to yep. do like all the things you want to do. And for me, like that includes like a massive amount of reading. And I just like, I won't have time to read everything I want to read. Okay. That actually gives me anxiety as well. And like, so like one of the goals that like my wife and I have is like, when we retire, we want to have in our house, like a library somewhere where just like, you know, you got like the floor to shelf bookcases, like with the actual, like uh, yeah. I forget what you call the thing that moves around and like, just like read so much. But yeah, it gives me anxiety too that there's so many good books that I'll never be able to digest, even if I'm reading them at, or listening to them at four and a half speed. Yeah. So to to put kind of like a, somewhat of a bow on this, yep. um, like uh, Taleb has like uh, I don't and I don't even remember exactly like the context in which he uses it, but like the ant the anti library. Yep. Where it's like it's not the books that you've read, but it's like all of the books that you haven't read. And like how, um, like that actually kind of informs who you are more than what you know from the books you've read. 
That's an interesting thought. I'm going to have to ponder that some more. So after a very uh, interesting close to this episode, that is going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveCabinFF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at MattFTheOracle. Don't forget to call into 978-925-7628 and maybe tell us your favorite books. Uh, this has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.